be a man of God. Be a man, all right? You've heard that used before, right? And if you've grown up um, from years ago to now, maybe you've used it at times uh, yourself or your parents have used it for you to say, you know, toughen up. That's one way we use it. Say, oh, you scraped your knee, you hurt yourself. That's, it's not bleeding too much. It's just a little scrape. Be a man. Toughen up. Right? That's one way that that's been used before. Another way be a man's been used is don't cry about it. Right? Men don't cry. You know, I can laugh at myself sometimes as we're singing songs, even in the front row. I can, find, I can feel myself tear up because I'm really focusing on the words or whatever the case. And then my wife will notice it and ask me about it later. Were you crying in church today? And I said, no, no, I didn't let any tears fall. I wasn't crying, all right? Uh, but don't cry, right? Isn't that something that we hear? Be a man. Man, don't cry, right? Well, also, be a man can be used to really, by society, tell us whatever they think that that should mean. Be a man um, can mean a lot of different things these days. And what's the problem with society is that they are all over the place. From one year to the next, one generation to the next, what does it mean to be a man? Okay, well, we're going to look at today and what Timothy focuses us on is not just to be a man, but to be a man of God. Be a man of God. That's really what we see happening in our text today. If you've been with us, you know that starting in chapter 2, what Paul is challenging Timothy to do is to really instruct the church there how the different functions of the church should happen. What's the process? What's the things that should be first and foremost? If you were with us last week, you know that he challenged the church there not to leave God out. Don't leave God out of the church or your personal life to keep him front and center. And so don't leave God out is what we are challenged with. We do that by prayer. We do it by recognizing God's desires and making those desires our desires. And we do it also by focusing on the gospel. Well, it comes to this section, really verses 8 and following of chapter 2. And he switches gears from the generals to now the more specific. And one of the specifics that he talks about is the differences between gender in the church. What is a man's job? What is a man's role compared to a woman's role? Verse 8 is really the verse that we're going to focus on today. One verse is going to take us in a lot of different directions and areas, but we're going to be challenged to be a man of God. So let's look at it. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. One verse tells us this. Paul, talking to Timothy, says this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. He calls out specifically man in this one verse, and he says, Men, I have a specific job and a role for you to play in the church, and it's to be the leaders of the church. He specifically says, I desire then that in every place men should pray. Men should be the one praying. And we're going to talk about what that means in just a little bit, especially in the church scenario. But what I want to look at is the next couple words. It says, men should pray, lifting up holy hands. That means that the, the leaders in the church, the ones that who stand up and really pray and, and give an example, they are supposed to be men of God, lifting up holy hands. It's not so much talking about the posture as lifting up your hands, but lifting up a holy life. And what that word holiness is this idea of separation, a life that is separated from the world, separated from my own personal wants and desires. I am separated for God and to God. This says that men in the church should pray, lifting up holy hands, but that really means lifting up a holy life. B 
Being a man of God means you're lifting up your life and giving it over to God in every aspect, in every area. So that's what we're going to see today. Be a man of God. And what we're going to look at is three different lessons we find that relate really to this idea of being holy and being a leader in the church as a man. Okay, three different lessons that really correlate to this idea. Lesson number one, be a man of God in your personal life. Be a man of God in your personal life. Now, we can do a lot of things to put on a show or make a facade or let people think that we love God, that we serve God. But how about when no one else is watching? How about when you're all alone? How about throughout your week when you're struggling and you're hurting? Where do you turn? Where do you turn? Do you turn to your wife? Do you turn to your kids? Or do you really fall on your knees before God and say, God, help me? God, be with me. God, help me to grow in you. God wants us and the men in the church who are leading the church to be men of personal conviction that want to follow after God. It starts with salvation. It starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, recognizing that I am a sinner and there's no way that I can pay for my own sin debt. Someone else had to do that for me. Because as good as I I try to be, and I think I am at times, I know that my goodness can never reach up to God's holiness. So I need somebody to step in between for me, to be the one who takes on my sin debt. That has to be, and only can be, the Savior, Jesus Christ. As he steps in, and as we accept him as our Savior, he creates a new heart inside of us. A heart that wants to follow God, wants to serve God, who wants to lead our family, lead our kids. The question for us is today, does that characterize your personal life? As a man, as a father, do you really have that relationship with God that isn't just for show, but really is on the inward, having having a, a desire to know your Savior, to love your Savior, to walk the way that he wants you to walk, and to lead your family well? 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I then desire that every, in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. That starts in your personal life. Yes, 1 Timothy is de- dealing with the church and seeing holy men being raised up to, to lead the church. But it starts in our personal life. It starts with what's going on inside of you. Nobody likes a hypocrite, Right? Someone who says one thing tells one thing, but then themselves does not do that thing. I was at kids' soccer games all, all yesterday. Uh, three of my kids are in soccer, and especially the little kids' soccer that we uh, watch, one of the things that you'll see every single game is all the kids sitting around raising their hands saying, pass me the ball, pass me the ball, pass it to me. But as soon as they get the ball, their head's down and they're dribbling all by themselves. You know, they want the ball to be passed to them, but they They don't look up to pass as soon as someone else gets a pass to, right? That's the same with us. You know, if we're going to say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ, say that we want a life that really is is encompassed with a relationship with God and his son Jesus, but in our personal life, we fall short. And we don't put the time and effort in. We don't do things that God calls us to do. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying there aren't times where we struggle and we don't trip up and we don't need help. Of course we do. We all do. But if we're not putting the time and effort in, God has no way to reach us halfway. He calls us to put the time and effort in. He calls us to be men of God. 
1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, a couple chapters later in this same book, says this, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. What does he tell us? A couple chapters later, he says, As men leading the church, train yourself for godliness. That's putting the effort in, putting the time in. You know, we can think of training. If you've ever had to train for something, whether it's a job, whether it's a sport, what do you have to do? You have to put the time and effort in to get better at it, to understand it, to, to work through it. It's no different than with our Christian life. God says, train yourself for godliness. And then he goes on a little further. It says that because even bodily training, which we know, it helps us understand something. It helps our muscles develop. Those are good things. But he says they're of some value. But then he says, but godliness is of value in every single way. Put God first in your personal life. What I want to do is take us through a couple, two more passages that really help us build the sweat of our Christian life. And I love these passages. These are ones that I personally have enjoyed in my life throughout but sometimes there are passages that say, okay, let's get back on track. I've been slacking a little bit. I, I want to get back to where God wants me. Let's go first to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Turn over there with me. There's some discussion about who writes the book of Hebrews, but I think a good case can be made for Paul. So a lot of this is coming from the same person, uh, teaching us at different places, different books, the same thing. He says in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and you can, he's referring back to chapter 11, the great faith chapter, talking about many characters of faith throughout the Old Testament, he says, since we can look at them and see how invaluable it is to follow after God, he says, then let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And how do we do it? Look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and is seated at the right hand of God. So he starts out with a command, let us lay aside everything that's not in correlation with a relationship with God. In your personal life, strive to put off the sins, put off the distractions, put off everything else that is taking you away from your Savior. Now, there are a lot of distractions we can have in our life. Our own hobbies, our job can be too, become too important to us. A lot of different distractions. And this says, let's weed through it. Let's get our eyes focused on where we're going. The Savior is who I want to serve. The Savior is who I want to show to everybody else. Put those sins and the things that distract out of, out of the way of us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We can't do it by ourselves. It's not about me pulling myself up by my bootstraps, being strong enough. What do we do to, to do this in our life? It says right there, continually looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, we always have to turn to him. We can right now think of our own life and be saddened by the ways that we've failed, the, the, the things that we, we want to do better at. 
And all of those things we take to Jesus. We look at what Jesus did for us. He brings comfort. He brings direction. He brings everything that we need. We need to come to Jesus often. Let's see what he did for us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's what he did. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and is seated at the right hand of God. He came for you and for me to take all of our sins on himself so we don't have those, that penalty of sin to pay for our specific life. Lay aside everything, follow after Jesus. Let's look at another passage, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. Paul again is talking, and he must have loved to play athletics or at least to watch athletics because he uses this illustration often, and he says in verse 25, Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, as believers in God and doing what he calls us to do, we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. Verse 26, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What he's saying, I train myself. With God as my driving factor, with the Savior as the one that I'm trying to to get more of and to strive to please, I go hard after God. I don't do it in a weak, half-hearted way. I don't box the air. No, I get, I get into it. I get spiritually sweaty because I want to put my life into to work for God. Does that characterize you today? Does that characterize me today? I mean, this is not just a challenge for other people. It's a challenge for each and every one of us as we look at this. Now, practically, let's get into this especially men, as we're looking at 1 Timothy 2.8 as being leaders, lifting up our holiness to God. How about the men today? <clears throat> How has your devotion life been going? Have you been spending time in God's Word? Have you been making it a point to be in God's Word? Are you looking at other resources that will uh, supplement God's Word as to teaching and understanding God's Word more? How is your devotion life going? Another question for you, how's your personal prayer life going? Do you spend time not just reading about God, but talking to God? Really having that relationship with him? Because we know what prayer does, it doesn't get us what we want. No, it brings us into alignment with God. He wants us to be aligned with him. Are you spending time with God in prayer? Another question, how's your Christian walk going? How's your actual day-to-day life going? Are you struggling? Are you tripping up with specific sins that you can recall quickly if someone asked you about that? If you had to sit down with a friend and they asked you, how is your Christian life going? You need to stop, think about that for a minute and say, hey, what 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 is my life right now look like in my Christian walk? Another question, how is your battle with sin and the struggles of life going? Another question, are you seeking God in your life? And for your life, are you striving to follow God's commands? That means specific things that we know God has set out for us. Do we put those in our mind? Do we continually ask, God, is my heart hardened to those things? God, do I need your help to soften me and to even bring conviction so I know what is right and what is wrong? Do you follow God's direct commands? How about even a very simple out there 
command is that God, through Jesus, tells us that we should be baptized. If we're going to be a leader in the church and he calls us to take specific steps of obedience, have you taken that step of being baptized? Jesus calls it, that, that is the, the, the second step of obedience really is, well, first step of obedience after salvation is joining the church in baptism and joining Christ in baptism. Have you done that today? Last question, are you willing to seek help when you need it? You know, if we're going to look at my personal life and we're going to say, okay, I, I got to evaluate it, I, gotta, I want to grow in different areas, there are times when I can't see my own sin, can't see how to get over my own struggles, Am I reaching out the way that God calls us to, to one another? One of the ways that we do that is we connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. We make it a practice that we're among each other at church. That's the purpose of this. It's not for us to come here and just hear some nice words from the pastor. It's to live a life for God through Christ together. And when we're struggling, we we reach out to brothers and sisters in Christ. We ask for help. We're open with them. And we don't... Do it with worrying what people think. or what, Because my, my, my number one thing is I want to please God. And I'm struggling to please God. So how do, I, how do I get past that thing or past that help that I need? Is that you? Would you be willing to reach out for help if you need it? Pastor Dan and myself, our doors are open. We, we love to talk with people, pray with people, think about their life and how we can help them in any way. And so if there's something that you need to talk through and think through, don't think of it as, oh, I, I got to protect myself, my image. I just, I, I, I don't want to act like I need counseling. Oh, don't say the counseling word because that, that really shows that I'm failing. Guess what? We're all failing at different times. We all need help at different times. We got to be willing to get past our own pride and our own facade of being perfect because none of us are perfect. Reach out for help. And God is going to use you as you do that. He's going to use you to grow you and to grow other people who are around you. God wants you to be a man of God in all aspects of your life. First of all, in your personal life. And if we don't take those steps in our personal life to grow, we're going to find it very hard to grow in the other areas of our life. And we're going to look at what those next areas are, the second lesson for us and lesson for men today. Is number two, be a man of God in your home life. Not just in your personal life when you're by yourself, but in your home life and in your relationships that you have all around you. Again, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. That's their holiness in their personal life. But also we see them as, as an example in their relationships and in their, their home life. We're going to turn to a couple different passages as well. Look at Ephesians 5. Turn over there with me. Ephesians 5. We're going to look at verses 25 through 33. Being a man of God in your home life starts with your relationship with your spouse. And what we have in Ephesians 5, 25 to 33, is Paul's instruction as to husbands as to how to love and care for their wife. Uh, this is the first relationship that is the most important for you to spend your time and effort outside of Jesus Christ on, is your spouse. What does he have to teach us here in Ephesians 5.25? says this, Paul, teaching, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm going to stop right there for a minute because what, what does he start and focus on? He says, the love that you should have for your wife should characterize and look like the love that Christ has for his church. Now, when we stop and think about that, we think about what Christ did for the church. He gave himself completely for it. He did not hold himself back. He did not say, the church is not good enough. The church is not loving me. He's not caring for me. What he said was, I am going to give myself completely, wholeheartedly to the church for their benefit and their salvation. Now, that we take that picture of how Christ loved the church, and we apply that to how husbands should love their wife. You know, when we think of those things that say, well, if she just loved me this way, if she just did what I wanted her to do, if she acted like this, if she listened to anything about me, then I would do that. I would love her in the way that she wants me to. We see how that's this scale-tipping type of thing, like if you love me, I'll love you. What does that really look like? It looks like selfishness, right? It looks like it's all about me, and you just do what I want, and then I'll like you. That's not at all what Christ has in mind. He saw the need of the church to have need salvation. He had a love for the church, and he gave himself completely to the church. Now, how much and how often do, do us, as husbands, as men of the house, have a love that looks like that? I'm going to tell you, and I'll be honest with you, I fail frequently. I, I, my love for my wife is not the love for Christ. But that doesn't mean that it's something that I cast to the side and say, I'm not going to work on this. I, I, just, I am who I am. No, with, by God's grace, I humbly come to him often, ask for forgiveness, ask my wife for forgiveness, because I want to grow to love her like Christ, and I want to help her. And that's really, as we look at it, it tells us what the purpose of it's for. End of verse 27 says, that she might be holy and without blemish. I'm always, as a husband, thinking of her and wanting what's best for her, and it's to grow in Christ without blemish. <clears throat> Look at verse 8 to following. It says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So what's it say? It says, We're normally people who love ourselves. We're going to give ourselves the best spot. We're going to pamper ourselves. We're going to do things that we like. We are in our heart, selfish people. You know, the Bible says, love your wife like you love yourself. You automatically care for yourself, but he's saying fight against the care for yourself so that you put her first. What does that look like? We could turn to First Peter, and Paul tells us that means consider her often. Think about her. Think about her dreams, her desires, her wants. And it doesn't mean just lay down, but you are thinking about her and how <clears throat> you can care for her best. She is on your mind because you, you want to love her in the way that Christ loved the church. Verse 31 of that same passage, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to, the, to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, hear this, and I want you to understand, take this fully in. Loving and leading your wife in a godly way will make one of the greatest impacts on all of those around you. Loving and leading your wife in a godly way will make one of the greatest impacts 
on all of those who are around you. First of all, think about it. If you love your wife the way that Christ loved the church, it is going to impact her. She's going to see that even when she fails, when she sins, she doesn't act the right way to you. That is not what's driving you. That is not that, well, she acted mean to me. I have the right. I am justified in acting mean to her. Now, you're not, you're not loving her to please her. You're loving her to please God. And when she sees that happening, you're going to have an impact on her. You're going to challenge her to love like God loves, uh, loves us. It also will have an impact, not just on your wife, but also have an impact on your kids. You're going to, your kids are going to see how dad acts towards mom. And even when they have an argument, when they have a fight, they're going to see that, you know what, dad comes back. He wants to resolve things. He wants to make things right. And it's, it's not because of the selfish reason. It's because, you know, he wants to please God. And even as you're doing that with your spouse, you get to have opportunities to talk with your kids about it and say, hey, this is what happened. You heard us arguing. You heard us fighting. But guess what? Mom and dad, we made up. We, we, we worked through it. We asked for forgiveness from each other when we needed to. You know how much that that impacts your kids? It has uh, an incredible amount. God wants that to be happening in your life and in your, your family dynamic. Your kids growing up, seeing a man of God, not that's perfect, but one that is striving to please God and is continually working on pleasing God and not himself. It's also going to impact all the people around you. When the people at work that you talk to about your wife and how you love her and how you're doing stuff with the family, they're going to see you as not someone that's just trying to live for himself. But no, you're living for God and you're loving because God loved us. We're loving the people around us. We are called as husbands to lead our wife, to love and lead our wife. They're not the only relationship we're called to love and lead. We're also called to love and lead your children. Love and lead your children. Turn to Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. End of that same section, so maybe just flip over a page. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the earth. So first, it's the instruction to kids. And what, what their job is, is to please the parents. And that's their role while they're under their parents' household. But look at verse 4 is where we want to focus on. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What that really gets to is the heart is love and lead your children well. Don't do it in a way that you're trying to be irritating to them, that you're putting more on them weight-wise than God calls you to put on them. All of those type of things causes your kids anger and resentment towards you. And as soon as they can, they're going to try to get out from under you and be their own person. And a lot of times, when that happens, they're turning away from your God, the one that you've served. So what does this tell us? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two different aspects of bringing up your children, loving and leading them, is to one, discipline them. Discipline them. And sometimes we hear that word discipline, and the world, unfortunately, has taken that and twisted that and said, no, 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 we cannot, don't do anything that's going to step on the toes of kids. That, that's, we got to let them do what they want to do, and we need to f- follow after them and let them be who they want to be. Disciplining your child is not being mean to them. It is not 
hateful and angry as we talk to them and tell them the wrong that they have done. But disciplining them is taking action to tell them that God has a specific design that they have not met up to. They have not reached the level of perfection. And a lot of times, we can call their sin, sin. What they've done is from an evil heart, and we need to discipline. We need to set them right by giving them consequences so that they recognize that we live underneath the authority of God. As we teach our kids from, by discipline, we're teaching them that we are under God's authority. Yeah, it's, and, and they themselves, at the point in time that they're living, are under the parents' authority that God has provided over them. But in the same way, us parents are under God's authority. And if we don't reach God's uh, authority, he's going to discipline us. Discipline teaches a lot to kids to instruct them. It doesn't say just to discipline them. It says, and the instruction of the Lord. So discipline and instruction. It's this idea of more than just telling them what you didn't do, work with them through it to say, why is that what God doesn't want for you? What was your heart desiring when you turned away from him and you loved your sin more than God? What do we do when we have a sinful heart that wants to turn away from God. As you're having these conversations with your kids through their actions, you're training them. You're disciplining them. But what you're doing is you're always pointing back to God, and you're always pointing to Jesus Christ, your Savior. It's not so that I can get them to act a certain way or be a certain person. It's so that they love your God, the one that you know is better than anything else. That's your goal as a parent. That's your goal as a dad. Continually point your family, your wife, your kids, back to God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you doing that today? Let me ask you some practical questions. Dads, when is the last time you had a conversation with your kids about their spiritual life? When's the last time you sat down and said, hey, son, how's your walk with God going? How have you been doing this week? That's sometimes hard for us to do, even while they're young, but I don't think that that's something that should stop even as they get older. We get to challenge and, and be part of our kids' life even while they grow, and they go through different uh, scenarios in their life. They get married. They have kids. They have questions. You're there to help them think through all of that. One of the greatest things that I have is a dad who really loves to point back to God. He was a pastor growing up. I, I grew up in a, a Christian home. But even now, this weekend, we were able to spend some time. They came over, watched the kids' soccer game. But we sat and we talked about what God's doing in our life and in their life. And that, that community with one another as a dad to a son, we need to have that as part of our families. Is that part of your family? Here's another question. Dads, when is the last time you've asked your kids for forgiveness? Sometimes we think that I don't have to ask my kids for forgiveness. I'm the dad. I do nothing wrong, right? Uh, and even if I do, it's my right to do it wrong, okay? Uh, that's not what we find in Scripture. And when we show humility and that we know we're not perfect, it's showing our kids that we need God's help as much as they do. And, and we both need to grow um, in, those, in all different aspects of life. Another question, dads, would your kids want to come to you if you had a question about God? If they had a question about God or life as a Christian, you know, would you be one of the ones your kids would want to come and talk to? Would they say, Dad, hey, I've I got a question about God. Would you be the one they would come and talk to, or would it be somebody else? And if they did come and talk to you, would you say, uh, 
Go talk to your mom. She'll tell you about that, okay? That's, we're, we're totally sidestepping the leadership that God has placed on man in the home if we're not putting the time and effort into training our kids to loving our family the way God calls us to. Last question, dads. Are you the spiritual instigator in your family? Are you the one that wants your kids to know about God? Are you the one that says, we got to get to church. We've missed it lately. We got to get going. Or is it always dragging your feet and your wife finally says, come on, we got to go to church. The kids need church. Are you the spiritual instigator? The scripture is clear that he want, God wants men to be leaders in their household, to be leaders in their personal lives and challenge their wives and their kids. Point them to God. Point them to God. Are you pointing your kids to God? <clears throat> most important, one of the most important things you're called to do for your family is to lead them to loving God. And it, it, is, uh, it does sadden me when you see dads um, that don't put the time and effort into really loving and showing the love of God to their family. You know, let's just be honest with you. Um, your job as a dad is not done when you come and drop your kids off at church. Yeah, it's not done when you've dropped them off with Pastor Dan and said, oh, you know, youth group's going to teach them everything they need to know about God. It's fine. You know, I, I, this is not a big deal. You know what? Your kids are going to see right through that. They're going to see that you're coming, you're, you want them to learn about God, but God really isn't important to you. He really, you don't really care about him. You, know, you would rather sit on your phone, scroll through your phone, and say, well, God's not a big deal to me. Now, that saddens me because I want your kids to love God. I want you to be a leader in your home that points them to God. And that's the best thing that you can do for your family is show them and be an example of someone who loves God. That's my prayer for myself and my own kids. That's my prayer for you as well, is to, to love God so your kids can see your love and the only God that can give them salvation and the only God that can give them everything they need for life is through Jesus Christ. I want that for your kids. I want God to, to grow you so that you love him. And you can, you can pass that on to your kids. One of the characters I was reminded of this week is the character of Job. It's not one that you always think of when you think about his kids. Turn over to Job 1, 1 through 5. <clears throat> Job 1, 1 through 5, what we find is that Job is a righteous man. He's a man that cares about God, and we see how it comes out in his family. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 5. It says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He wanted to please God. He loved God with all of his heart. Verse number 2, There were born to him seven sons and three daughters, he possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and, every many, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Verse number four, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the household of each one of his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, here's what Job did. Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of, of them all. And Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job did continually. We see that Job 
was one of the most righteous men in the Bible. We know what he had to go through because God allowed that to happen, God to t- or for Satan to take everything away from him. But being one of the most righteous men in the Bible, what do we find him caring about? He cared about his family. He cared about his kids. And, and, and this passage alludes to them even growing and being out of the household, and he wanted to be a part of their, uh, their relationship with God. He wanted to continually challenge them to love God. Is that your heart when you think about your family? To challenge your kids to love God above everything else? I mean, we, we can get distracted with all the things we love to do. Our hobbies, the things that we want our kids to excel in, and we can make that uh, really our whole life. But is the thing that's bigger than all of those hobbies or things we love the God that you serve? The one that's given you salvation through Jesus Christ? That's what I want my kid to grow in. That's what I want your kids to grow in. Be a man of God in your personal life. Be a man of God in your family life or your home life. That brings us to our third uh, lesson today. Be a man of God in your church life. And this is really where we get back to 1 Timothy 2, because this is the context of the passage, is for men to be the leaders in the church. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. Uh, Men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and quarreling. The men should have a holy life. And we see the explanation of what that holy life looks like. It says that they should be the leaders, the ones who are praying, guiding and directing the church to God in the midst of a gathered church. And it says the men are the ones to stand up and lead in that. It says, with their life, their holy hands, and then it gives a description, without anger and without quarreling. Not just in the words that they say, not just in being able to speak eloquently about God, it's actually in their actions. It, don't, don't let that person be an angry person. We should not be a quarreling person. Always looking to be uh, at, at words with one another. The person that stands up to be a leader in the church should be one, puts God first in all aspects of life. Here are some practical questions for you in your church life. Are you showing others around you the importance of God's church in your life? Your family, your coworkers, your kids? Is the church life important to you? Uh, I don't say that myself. I say that God's word tells us that the church is important. And, And being part of a community that loves Christ, shares life together, is how we grow. So if we're neglecting that, you are neglecting your own, what your heart needs, what God tells us our heart needs. Another question, are you seeking out meaningful friendships with other Christians? Not just the morning service time, because that really does, it's difficult to get connected with someone. We walk in the door, we say hi, you know, we talk about the weather, what sports game has just happened recently, but it doesn't really allude itself to a deeper relationship where we're talking with each other about what what God's doing in your life or things you need help with. Are you seeking out those relationships Because God wants you to grow, and that's one of the ways to do it. Pastor Dan and I have thought a lot about this as as a leadership, and we want our church to grow in these areas. One of the things that we're going to do is in July, we're going to start a men's group. And this men's group, we're we're going to plan. We're still in the working it out uh, part of it. But we want this men's group to meet once a week. Or not, excuse me, not once a week. I don't want to overdo you, okay? Not once a week. Uh, We're going to do once a month on Saturday mornings, for an hour, either 7 to 8 or 7.30 to 8.30. We want you to have your time with your families, but we also know, hey, we need 
some avenues to really connect with the men of the church. And so that's one thing that we're going to do. That's going to start July 23rd. So keep your ear open for that. Rearrange your, your calendar or schedule so that you can be part of that group and grow in those areas. That starts July 23rd. Another question we can ask as we're talking about church life. Are you seeking to use what God has given you to serve him in the church? Are you seeking to use? We know that God's given all of us different talents, abilities, uh, things that, and the church only functions best when everybody's using your abilities to help build the church, build the body of Christ. One's a foot, one's a hand, one's a head, but what, what are we using? Are we using our stuff or are we just letting everybody else do this stuff? Last question for you. Are you a user or a contributor when it comes to church life? You don't want to be just a user. That's not the purpose of Christianity. It's to give back to God what he's given to you. Today, we've been challenged. The men in this room have been challenged to be a man of God. Be a man of God in your personal life. Be a man of God in your home life. Be a man of God in your church life. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being our perfect Heavenly Father. Um, we know we don't have the strength as men, as leaders, to, to, to do and be uh, the thing that you want us to be without you. But God, you provide strength. You provide forgiveness. You help us. God, help us to turn to you. Help us to be those leaders. And God, I know you will help us. Uh, but help guide our heart back to you. Thank you for our time into your word today and uh, for the challenges that you've given to us. Be with us as we go on this Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.